The advice and opinions expressed by the host of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. The Center for Autism and Related Disorders advises working with a board-certified behavior analyst who has experience with autism before starting any intensive behavioral intervention. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Welcome to Autism Live. I'm Shannon Penrod, and we are coming to you live from many different locations around the country today. I have to start today, uh, first of all, welcoming you to be here, but I have sad news to report. If you were on Facebook this weekend, and if you are deeply involved in the autism community, you probably already know what I'm referring to. It's just... It takes your breath away to tell this story, but an amazing autism warrior mom who's done so much for the community. Somebody had posted on the weekend, if you have a child who is getting ABA services, and if you have Medi-Cal, if, if you have enjoyed any progress in the last six years in the autism community, in part, it is due to this one woman, Theta Amaliti who tragically passed away on Saturday morning along with her son, Muhammad. And uh, this woman, so brave, she hosted a show called The Scoop, and I want to encourage everybody to Google that, find that, and listen to it. It's an amazing show. Um, the details, so, you know, I somebody called and said, have you heard? And I said, no, what are you talking about? And and I said, she just had a birthday the other day. I, I don't understand what, you know, what happened. I mean, she was well a couple of days ago. And of course, in this crazy pandemic, you know, you're always concerned about, was it this or was it that? And the truth is that they perished in a house fire. And it was early morning on, um, it was about 2 a.m. on Saturday. And apparently, we don't know what happened, but there was a house fire. It is being reported by the family that Feta was able to successfully leave her home and was outside with her sister and her niece, but she went back inside to get her son. And they didn't make it out. And she, when they found her, she had her arms around her son. You know, there are no words. There are no words. And it is such a loss for the autism community. Our condolences are with her family and with the entire community, her bravery and her courage will not be forgotten. Again, I want to encourage everybody to listen to The Scoop. Um, Feta was an amazing, amazing warrior mom. And I know that everybody's going to have their, their own feelings about it because we are all connected to her in one way or the other. I'm just suggesting that sometimes when there is grief and you don't know what to do with it, find something productive to do. I think that that would honor her memory, whether it's that everybody practice fire drills today. Uh, if we, we go over a path 
uh, to be able to help our kids. Reach out and get the support that you need today. Do what you need to do in Feta's memory. I know our, all. somebody wrote in and said, my heart is broken. All of our hearts are broken. Just, just tragic. Um, but we go on. We go on. And um, as, a, as a sister who was doing a show for autism, I know that that's what she would want us to do. And so we're here today. And we're going to talk about the things that are going on with you. It is an interactive show. People are already starting to write in. I want to remind you that there are many different ways to interact, many different ways to participate. Can I also say this too? Uh, it was always on my intention to reach out to Feta and have her be on the show and talk about the scoop. And I didn't get there. And I feel horrible about it today. And I just want to say, if you are someone that is a viewer and watching this show, and a couple of you have already done this, but if there, if you have a topic that you would like to talk about on the show, please reach out. We, we like for you to pitch an idea of what your segment would be about and give us like three to five talking points that are really concise about, you know, because, you know, if it's that you've got a lot of things to talk about, it doesn't mean you can only be on once, but pick something that you want to come on and talk about and, and send us the talking points. You can send that directly to me at s.penrod at autism-live.com. Um, and that could be a way that we all remember FEDA. Um, okay, so uh, I do want to remind you that there are many different ways to reach out and to participate in the show. And I think Traven can show those to you. If you're watching us live, you're probably watching us on YouTube, Facebook, Periscope, Twitter, or on our homepage, autism-live.com. And all of those are great ways to watch the live show. They all have their own interactive modes. I will tell you that in this new format that we're trying out and experimenting with, it does mean that um, if you leave a message for us during the live show on any one of those YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, or Periscope. It will show up here in my chat almost in real time. Sometimes that's good. Uh, sometimes it's hard to keep up with the crawl. So uh, be patient with me. We're figuring this all out, right? Now, if you're wanting to watch the show recorded, and we have 10 years of shows now that are recorded and waiting for you, and you can search them by topic, um, you can watch those recordings on most of those platforms, most specifically on our homepage, autism-live.com. Uh, hi, Paula. Uh, but you can also be listening to the podcasts. We're on iTunes. It's a free download. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Ghana, Amazon Music, Audible, and Deezer. If there's someplace else you would like us to be, please write and tell me s.penrod at autism-live.com. We appreciate that. Hey, and we like to tell everybody that we just don't spend money on marketing here. Uh, that isn't what we do. That's not what we're about. We're here as a free resource for you and other members of the larger autism community that starts, of course, with individuals who are on the autism spectrum. They are the beating heart, the center of our community, the reason why we do all the things that we do. But we do include in that community everyone who loves those individuals because we know that that is a vibrant group of people who want to work with those individuals to bring about change so that those individuals will have dignity, respect, opportunity, 
right? Opportunity, whatever that is, because it's not one size fits all in the autism community. Some people need a little bit of help with social skills and relationships. Others need housing. Others need an, uh, an opportunity to get a job or to go to college. And others need opportunities to help them to take care of themselves and their bodies, right? And everything in between. It's a beautiful, beautiful spectrum, but supports are needed and dignity and respect are needed. So we speak to that larger autism community, but we won't get to everybody. We won't find everyone unless you help us to spread the word. So if you come here and you like what you see, please let others know. Let them know uh, you can like us on Facebook. You can write us a review on iTunes. You can follow us on YouTube. You can subscribe to our channel on YouTube. There are many, many, many different ways to support Start a Watch Party Whatever it is, follow us on, on any of the platforms, whatever it is that you like to do. If you like what you see here, please reach out to your friends and family and let them know that we're here and that we're a free resource and that our mission is to provide inspiration and information. Uh, sometimes I say that the other way, but today, I don't know about you, I feel like we need some inspiration, right? So that's what we're here. That's what we're doing. We're going to be with you live this hour talking about autism from a 360 degree perspective. we got a great expert that's here for you. We've got a great week for you this week. I'm really excited, uh, especially on, not especially, everybody's great. Uh, we'll go through the week really quickly. We have Bonnie Yates today, special education attorney. We're really taking apart this whole distance learning and what can we do? Um, Tomorrow, we're playing the best of Temple Grandin, where we take a bunch of the different interviews that we've done with her and show them because we feel like she's said some pretty amazing things and showing it once doesn't get it done. On Wednesday, Dr. Doreen Grampiche is here live for Ask Dr. Doreen. On Thursday, I'm so excited. Jake Weiner from Zeus Fitness is going to be here with us. He teaches fitness, sometimes now remotely for people of all abilities. We've been talking about how important it is to be having a physical outlet in this pandemic for all of us, but most especially for our kiddos and adults and teens on the autism spectrum. And he's got some great information for us. And then on Friday, uh, let's talk autism with Shannon and Nancy. So that will be wonderful. I, I wanna say thanks to Monica, who says I shared to my other autism groups, really appreciate it. Thank you so much for being here and for sharing. Um, all right. Uh, so we like to start Monday with something we fondly refer to. I, you know what I forgot to say? We have experts on the show. Guess what? I'm not one of them. Uh, I, my credential to be here and host the show is that I care. Uh, and I care front row center because my son was diagnosed with autism when, when he was two and a half and I didn't know what to do. And I knew that he was an amazing person, even at two and a half, and that he had a right to all those things I was talking about, an opportunity, opportunity to learn, and that I, I wanted to make sure he had those. And I didn't, I didn't know where I was in space or time. And I got very lucky and got resources to be able to help to support him, to be able to help to support our family. And it was my deal. I, I made the, the deal on our bedroom floor and I said, help me, you know, to the God of my understanding, help me to be able to help my child. 
And if you help me to help my child, I promise I'll do whatever I can for others along the way. So that's why I'm here, but not because I'm an expert. Just want to be clear about that. But we do have experts for you. Just And I have an opinion. <laughs> don't, don't kid yourself. I have an opinion. And I would say, you know, at this point, having hosted shows about autism for well over a decade, I like to say it's an informed opinion, but that's my opinion. You know what I'm saying? So anyway, that's that's what my deal is here, but not an expert. Okay. Having said that, uh, we like to start Monday mornings with something we fondly refer to as the jargon of the day. This is when we take on one word, one phrase, one one anagram, one, you know, whatever, alphabet land, right? We try to figure out, uh, first we give you the actual definition, and then whenever possible, of course, we do what you do with those. We make fun of it. And then we move on to a working definition that hopefully will help us to begin to understand, okay, what is this thing? And because I'm always saying, you know, let's shine a flashlight into the dark corners because once we start to look at something, it's not as overwhelming as maybe we thought it was going to be. So, um, okay. So uh, I'm just looking at, we're, we're, we're discussing, we're, we're arguing a little bit about whether, whether I'm an expert. I'm not, uh, I'm, I, I'm, cause you, this person says you're an expert in parenting uh, and uh, I'm not, let me assure you. And my son would come down here and assure you, I'm not an expert in parenting. I'm just like a lot of people where day by day I'm figuring it out. I just in the last week said to my son, you know what? I'm sorry. This is the first time I've ever parented a 17 year old. So I may not get it right all the time. And he looked at me like, what? <laughs> I said, I haven't done this before. This is uncharted territory. I've watched people do it before. I took notes. I asked questions. Does not mean I'm going to go down the ski slope and hit it uh, exactly right and get a 10 in the first thing. Right. So, you know, not an expert. Uh, but, um, Anyway, I, it, I love it if I'm if if it's helping you to watch me trip and fall. That's I'm 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 happy, right? But back to the jargon. Okay, uh, echolalia is our jargon of the day. Echolalia. Did you ever think that this was you were going to be spending time in your life going, "Hey, I wonder what echolalia means." Me neither. Uh, okay, let's take a look at what our actual definition is. See if there's anything to be poked fun of. Echolalia. Repeating words or phrases heard previously. The echoing may occur immediately after hearing the word uh, or a phrase or much later. Delayed echolalia can occur days or weeks after hearing the word or phrase. Well, um, doesn't that just sound, make it all sound, and I deliberately gave it my best elevator voice. Doesn't it make like it sound like it's like you're on a mountain top and you're yelling something out and it comes back to you sometime or later? Uh, the truth is, is that for many, echolalia is a very disruptive and frustrating thing. Let's go on to our working definition so we can really pin this down. Echolalia is basically, you know, look and see the root word there is echo. It's echoing. Sometimes people call this movie talk. Uh, some people refer the, uh, to this as being in a category of vocal stereotypy. Um, but many of you will write in and say, uh, you know, my, my child, you know, it's that progression, right? A lot of people are out there who are praying for their children to be able to speak, right? And you go, oh, just if only my child could speak. And then your child starts to speak, but they're just repeating. They're parroting back what you said. So, you know, at first, when you say, would you like juice? And the child says, want juice, you go, woohoo, 
the child is speaking, right? And you appropriately celebrate that. But then you're six months down the road and you're not offering your child juice and your child is running through the house going, want juice, want juice, want juice, want juice, want juice for hours on end. And you're like, what? Oh no, what's happening, right? So I, I wanted to talk about this just briefly. And it's so hard sometimes when you are a, a caregiver for a child whose development is something outside of what you have experienced. I really hate to use the neurotypical and all those words because come on. Um, but if it's outside your experience, sometimes you just don't know where to get a foothold, right? Like, is this normal, you know, because normal is only a setting on the dryer, but is this okay? We always want to quantify it. Is this good? Is this bad? I just, I want to go back to the fact that when anyone develops language, when you think about it, the miracle of when a baby is born as compared to, uh, you know, if you've ever watched a horse uh, give birth to a foal, and, and within 10 minutes, this animal that's got these really long legs is standing and walking, right? Um, and, and it doesn't take them a year to walk. Well, for human babies, it takes a, usually at least a year for them to walk, right? Um, and, and that, you know, and that's a crazy amount of learning a whole bunch of skills and coordination with the brain just to be able to walk. But talk about language, right? Language is this whole big thing. Um, and there are many steps along the way until a child of any ability accesses language and can use it as a communication. It really is a, a, a lengthy, lengthy process. But one of the steps along the way is repeating. It is. And all children go through that phase at some point. I think the, the fear with kids with autism is that it comes in a place that we aren't used to seeing it. It comes when the child is older and it sticks around longer unless we're moving to other things. So I, I wanna give everybody a hug out there who has a child who has any echolalia, sending you a hug and reminding you that this is not a, oh no, um, this is a, oh yes, but you must act on it, right? If your child is engaging in echolalia, you want to take that and shape that into communication because sometimes it just becomes uh, what we call a self-stimulatory behavior where the, as in the example that I was giving the child running around going, want juice, want juice, want juice, want juice. They're not requesting juice. They're saying the words and it feels good. And it's, you know, uh, it, it becomes something that's serving a different purpose. That's more internal for them. And we want to, help that child, that individual to be able to use language in a way to get their needs met, right? Now, if you think about it, we all engage in some sort of that vocal stereotypy that I was talking about. If you know somebody in your life that's a sisser, you know, you know what I mean? Somebody who, or people who whistle or hum. I talk to myself, I admit it. That when, you know, I learned as a waitress that uh, sometimes I rev myself up going, you can do it, you can do it. All right, come on, come on. And my, my son will make fun of me because I'll go, okay, okay, okay. Like a million times if I've got to do something and I don't have much time, I'll be, I'll be going through the different steps, but I'll go, okay, 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 okay. And he'll go, mom, you've said okay like a million times. Um, so I'm not saying it's just something to be gotten rid of. 
It's just that we don't want to get stuck in the phase where that is the only type of communication. So echolalia, don't mourn it. Don't go, oh no, how do we stop that? Um, but make sure that you are working with good ABA providers to shape that into communicative language and be, make sure that you're also working with a speech and language pathologist who can help your child to be able to form words to be able to communicate. But I want to be clear that if you're looking at echolalia, just having a speech and language pathologist typically in terms of data, in terms of what we see in scientific research, that's not enough work with a good ABA provider to shape that into communication. Okay. Um, somebody said, I just call it quote and reference talk. Well, that's a part of echolalia. Um, we know that sometimes the movie talk aspect of it, kiddos who, uh, I, I love the Ron Suskin film with his son and, um, can't think what the title of it is. Somebody help me. But his son, he does Disney speak, right? And so he would just give a line from a Disney movie. And it took them years to realize that they were appropriate lines in appropriate situations to show what he was thinking and feeling because he didn't have other words. So he was borrowing them from the Disney movies. Um, and there is that too. But again, there's nothing wrong with that, except that it won't get the person's needs met entirely. So we want to shape it into ways that we all quote things and, and have phrases that we say repeatedly that are from movies, right? Uh, but we also want to be able to communicate when we're not using that. So life animated. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, can it be an anger behavior? I mean, I'm sure that... Uh, when somebody is angry, that it might be the way that they express themselves. But I think the vast majority of the time, echolalia is um, not an anger thing, but, but I'm sure that it could be. Uh, all right. So echolalia, really important. Uh, don't, it, you know, when we see it, it, it is crazy making sometimes when somebody's just repeating, 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 but don't get afraid. Don't get angry about it. Just make sure you're working with people who can help shape it into the type of communication that will help that individual. And it's different in each and every person. Uh, okay. We always have a question of the day for you. Today's no different. What sound do you love? Uh, you know, we all, we all have these senses and some of them are stronger in some people than in others, but what sound makes you really, really happy? I, of course, love the sound of my son laughing. Um, I love the sound of uh, a, a breeze in, in leaves. Absolutely love that. But what do you love? I also love music. Uh, and depending on, you know, I can pick the sound of James Taylor singing from a really long, long distance. I can pick it out of anywhere. Somebody says, my son loves Disney movies. He can do the entire movie from start to finish. I, I love Disney too. And I think it's a great thing for our kiddos. My son echoes my questions and then answers me. And you know what? Sometimes that is just a processing thing. Um, and all it will take is a really good ABA professional to help them to understand that we, we think things and we say things and we don't have to say everything that we think. So it might be that eventually they teach him to repeat it in his head and then respond. But that's a processing in, in all likelihood, a processing thing. Um, 
a lot of uh, I I love a lot of EDM music. I love the sound of my mother's music. She's been trying to be in the industry for over fifty years. I love that. Uh, I love that you love, uh, and I'll bet your mother loves that you love her music. That's wonderful. I want to know what kind of music she does. Uh, maybe send me a link. I would love to hear what she does. That sounds really exciting. Uh, okay. Uh, what is ABA? Thank you for asking. Cause I forget sometimes ABA is applied behavior analysis. It is a science of behavior and it was not invented for autism. It just happens to uh, have been, through research, been deemed the most effective treatment for autism. And basically, it works on the principle that we all do things over and over and over again because there's a paycheck in it for us. So people, and, and this is not just people with autism, this is everybody. And and ABA is used in business. It's used by Olympic athletes. It's used in schools. It's a It's a method of looking at behavior and then changing variables to teach someone. So for instance, um, people who smoke, you know, and we go, well, smoking's not good for you. And the research is in on that. Why are you smoking? Right. But the truth of the matter is, is that there is a reason why people smoke. There is a paycheck in smoking for them. And so we cannot change that behavior because the paycheck is there. Some people like it because they're nervous and it gives them something to hold on to. Some people like it because it seems like it's a, a little bit of a social lubricant in some circles. It certainly was, you know, back in the day, not as much anymore. Some people like smoking because it gets them a break where they get to, I know in the office building that I worked in before COVID, the people who smoked all would take their breaks together and they would go downstairs and take their 10 minutes where a lot of us stayed and worked through our break at our desks, right? So it was a break. Oh, got to go have my smoke break, right? And nobody was going to argue it with them. For some people, it's it's the social at the break, right? For some people, it's that when they inhale, they take a deep breath and that feels good, right? So there are all these different paychecks. And if we don't know, if I say, oh, I assume it's because you're taking deep breaths, so let's give you deep breaths instead. Um, but if it's somebody who liked the social aspect, breathing alone in your office doesn't give you the social aspect. So what ABA does is looks at behaviors and say, okay, you're tantruming right now what what are you getting from the tantrum um what if what if you're tantruming because you can't speak and say to somebody i'm hot right what if we gave you a way to say i'm hot maybe not even vocally but you know you could point to a picture and say i'm hot would you then need to tantrum so we can reduce challenging behaviors using the principles of aba but we can also teach teach, 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 teach. Um, my son couldn't learn in the traditional way where, you know, he just was supposed to soak things up. He wasn't taking in information that way. So he wasn't learning how to talk. But when he started ABA, he learned how to communicate, which was easier than tantruming. And he learned all kinds of things that he had lost and forgotten. So ABA is considered the gold standard of treatment for autism. But again, it's not just used for autism, but it is what your insurance will fund now in the United States. We have laws in all 50 states that say insurance insurance has to fund ABA, Applied Behavior Analysis. The thing about ABA is that each person has a different prescription. Um, there's a different number of hours a week but uh, of therapy to do. And for kiddos that are between the ages of, say, two and five, 
we know that that prescription should be 40 hours a week. I know I just lost you. You're like, what? That's crazy. But that's what works. My son was self-injurious, banging his head against the, the floor, not speaking, biting me. I had bruises up and down my arms and he is upstairs working on his application to Harvard. ABA, really good ABA, but all ABA is not the same. You have to look for um, really good ABA. Would it help him with meltdowns, self-combative uh, behavior? Yes, very likely ABA would help with that. Uh, sometimes when it's self-combative, we need to make sure that there's nothing medically going on because people who, for instance, will hit themselves in the head, sometimes that is because they're having headaches. Not always, right? So sometimes we have to rule medical things out too, but with the behavior of it, yes, ABA would absolutely help with that. Please reach out um, and get yourself some ABA. My son is always speaking jargon continuously to himself. How do I teach himself not to talk to himself? I think we want to be careful that um, when and mindful about, you know, there was just this thing with Big Brother where uh, a lot of people were talking about one of the one of the kiddos, one of the young men, excuse me, kiddo, one of the young men on Big Brother. Um, he rocks a lot and he, uh, there were comments that were being made about it. And the thing that was really interesting to me was that they showed the whole panel of folks that were sitting there and they were all engaged in some kind of behavior. His, his rocking was more pronounced maybe than theirs. So I think we want to be careful about, we all talk to ourselves. So we don't want to eliminate that. We just want to put parameters on about it. It's okay when you're by yourself to talk to yourself. But when you're around a bunch of other people, we don't say everything that we think. And so that's a les lesson about inhibition. And through ABA, you can work on that. Now, I have to mention that somebody has written in and said ABA is abusive and causes PTSD in autistic people. Autistic kids grew up, uh, grow up into autistic adults. I should know I'm an autistic adult and a mother of three. ABA is like dog training. I'm losing the comment. Um, I, I want to, and I can't see the rest of what you wrote, but I want to address that because here on Autism Live, we, we always want everybody able to tell their story and their opinion. And, and that's on Facebook. If somebody wants to read the rest of what she wrote, because I can't, I can't see, uh, what the rest of it is, but I want you to know that, um, there have certainly been many instances of bad ABA and bad ABA, yes, would cause PTSD and would be something that, that an autistic adult would remember as being something that is not good, which is part of why I'm here and advocating for good quality ABA. I just want to assure you that I am the most protective helicopter parent I have ever met. If there were an award for that, I already would have won it. When my son was having ABA therapy, I was in the other room watching it on a monitor. And I want to assure everyone I would never allow my son to be abused. My, my son has been on the show and he has said that there were times that he was frustrated in ABA because it was taking him, it was hard sometimes, but um, that it helped him to be able to do everything that he could, that he can do now. And that, um, you know, learning is sometimes difficult, but that he wanted to learn those things and that he's grateful for what he learned. And that most of the time, like 99.99% of the time, he was having a good time uh, doing ABA and that it opened doors for him. 
I don't in any way want to negate your experience. And heaven knows that there are many, many, many self-advocates out there that say the same thing. I always say, if you would like to see the kind of ABA that I'm talking about, please reach out to me and I will make arrangements for you to be able to see the kind of ABA that I'm talking about. Because if you've had bad ABA, of course it would leave a very bad taste in your mouth. And there is a lot of bad ABA out there, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about ABA that acknowledges the individual, that allows them to have their dignity, their opinions, to say no, you know, which makes a big, big difference. Um, in, Ohio's, in Ohio, is there good ABA speech therapist? And I don't have a name for you. I can make some suggestions if, uh, of how to seek that out if you want to write to me. Um, my son is toilet trained, but he cannot clean himself after doing a number two. And they said, sorry, TMI. No, sorry. How do I teach him how to do this? Um, so one of the things, uh, there's a couple of different things that we do with kiddos, but, um, one of the things that I've heard is the most successful is that, you know, you can put a visual on the wall, but, um, you know, you train to, however, they take two squares of toilet paper, wipe, and they look. And if there's, if it's not totally white, it goes in the toilet. Now we do it again until it's fully white. And you can put a chart saying, you know, not yet, almost there. Yay, you're done. And that if he can get to the point where he wipes and that there's nothing there, that he gets a big reinforcer, something that's meaningful to him. Because for him, having a clean butt isn't that big of a deal. So we're going to give him something like he gets access to a toy or he gets more time to play uh, or he gets stickers to for a bigger toy, um, something along those lines. Okay. Um, hey, Shannon, Bonnie's here. Hey, okay, Bonnie's here. Um, okay, so uh, I believe that she's saying that eight, he's eight years old and somebody else is saying that's really too, um, too young um, to be able to clean number two. You know, unless there are other things, eight is okay. Uh, okay. So uh, thank you at school. They don't clean him, uh, making him uncomfortable. Yeah. Let's work on that at home and you can do that. Um, okay. And yes, um, uh, somebody left me an email. What's better is if you email me, cause I lose this chat later on s.penrod at autism hyphen live.com. I didn't realize how late it was. Bonnie's here. Let's get Bonnie in here. Bonnie. Hi. Hi. <laughs> so sorry. I'm just going on and on. I'm distracted, uh, but uh, so thrilled to have you here um, and so excited that you're here. Bonnie is a special education attorney with Tolner Law Offices. Tell us a little bit about them, Bonnie. Tolner Law Offices, T-O-L-L-N-E-R. You can just Google us. We're an eight attorney special education firm. We have offices in California, Nevada, and we practice in Arizona as well. Um we're going to talk to you today about some late-breaking developments that affect your students who are on IEPs. Um, and the general advice that we give on the program is not a substitute for specific advice for a specific problem. So we always recommend that if you do think you have a case or may think you have a case, that you reach out and talk to an attorney in your state. If it's California, Nevada, or Arizona, we can... Um, follow up with you and you can have a consultation with us. If it's in the other 50 states, other 49 states, um, I would direct you to COPA, C-O-P-A-A dot net for a good starting point 
um, a list of national attorneys that are uh, trained special education advocates. Um, you asked, you asked, you were talking about echolalia and you asked, what is your favorite sound? And I wanted to say my little grandson, who's 14 months old, um, I hear him in his crib and he's practicing all his new words to himself. And it's, it's, it's I have thought about echolalia because he, will, he repeats certain things over and over and over and over, but because of his uh, interaction and his sort of development otherwise across the board, I know this is, I'm just watching this as like a really cool language um, mm -hmm. development, you know, immersion where like in four weeks we've gone to just from having some words to he's kind of confident and now he's, if you say a word to him, you show him the object, he'll try to pronounce it. So. I mean, I think I just wanted to say that what you were saying is echolalia is actually um, an adaptive process that I think kind of goes a little bit haywire in autism, um, but it's there for a reason. Yes. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I was saying. Don't be, don't be freaked out by it. It's a good thing. Echolalia is a good thing. We just have to make sure that with our kiddos that we channel it. So, but thank you for that. Cause that was the point that I was trying to make Bonnie is that it all, everybody goes through different periods of echolalia. It's an important step. Yeah. Uh, and I, and I love that you guys have that going on. That's wonderful. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. We, we have it going on. So uh, in California, we just uh, learned about Senate bill 820, which restores all timelines, all special education timelines to the way they were before uh, schools closed due to COVID-19. So that means no delays on getting you records, no delays on sending you assessment plans, and no delays on um, conducting assessments. And I've been hearing from people like, well, LAUSD isn't saying that they're doing that. And what I said is it's taking a, a while for it to trickle down from like the general counsel's office in LAUSD to all the local schools and stuff. But that is definitely the law now, and there's no question that the timelines are back in effect. That's amazing. Uh, and, and a sign of hopefully a harbinger of good things, right? Because uh, this has been a rough time for people, a really rough time. Um, Especially if you have a, a child who's seeking initial eligibility for special education, some of those, I don't think that was legal, but some of those kids have just been stalled. Yeah. Yeah, un absolutely unthinkable. They had part um, C services. They were supposed to stay. You know, their part C services were supposed to continue, but I think a lot of kids didn't. So, you know, not a yeah. Well, a lot of services just stopped. Uh, so, um, a really hard thing. Um, we're we're at the point where um, I I still don't have a, a, a specific question for you, Bonnie, but I have a general feeling for everyone that I, I, as I'm asking parents, where are you in this process? They're telling me that they're, they're really frustrated. They're trying the distance learning. They're documenting it. Like you've said, they're, they're trying to get in at least four weeks before they say that this is not working, but they're mm -hmm. everybody's sort of at that tipping point. And I'm wondering if you have exactly what we're going to talk about today. Oh, great. Well then go for it. All right. So, you know, it sort of took me a little while to get my feet wet and figure out how the district was going to handle um, the new normal. And I realized 
last week or the week before that the way they're handling it is they they have like a big steaming pile of manure and they're saying that it's that it's like you know um hay in the meadow or something so what they're doing is what we said saw them do when you went to an IEP with them and you complained about your special day class and they would say it's great going really well. We don't see those problems. We're with your child all day long. And, you know, by the way, here's our, you know, documentation of all the progress he's making. Well, I started seeing how districts were positioning themselves with respect to the distance learning plans at IEPs. And I realized, oh, okay, so this is what they have. And this is mostly all that they have, although they have been able to, you know, they've been given given permission to do some other things as we talked about. But what becomes important now is looking at the research on screen time because they're proceeding as if like they don't even want to discuss the adverse effects of screen time. They just they just want to like gloss over that and say everything's going really well. We're sorry that you think it isn't going really well, but we're creating the documentation that shows that you're doing really that your child's doing really well. So I started to do some research and I am not done, um, but I wanted to talk to you all about what I could find out about the effects of screen time on students. So um, there's various sources and um, the first one is an article uh, by a child behavioral expert, Dr. Jennifer Cross, who explains why screen time should be limited for kids. And basically what she says is there was an NIH study that began in 2018 that indicates that children who spend more than two hours a day on screen time activities scored lower on language and thinking tests. And some children with more than seven hours a day of screen time experienced thinning of the brain's cortex, the area of the brain related to critical thinking. We're not sure what this data means yet, but what we can hypothesize is that screens could inhibit certain aspects of a child's development by narrowing their focus of interest and limiting their other means of exploration and learning. Um, if young children spend most of their time engaging with an iPad, smartphone, or the television, all of which are highly entertaining, it can be hard to get them engaged in non-electronic activities such as playing with toys to foster imagination and creativity, exploring outdoors, sorry, oh, and playing with other children to develop uh, appropriate social skills. Interacting almost exclusively with screens would be like working out only your arm muscles and nothing else. You have would have really strong arm muscles, but at the expense of overall fitness. So, so this is interesting to me because what it's suggesting is that the medium in itself is a problem and it makes people's brains get kind of lazy or too one tracked. You know uh, what I'm, I'm wondering though, Bonnie, I mean, this is, I, I, I think it's undoubted, right? You know, that um, too much screen time can't be good, great for any of us, but I'm wondering as they were gathering their data uh, how much of it was your general, what we used to spend screen time on and what we're spending it on now? Cause I know there is not, uh, let me, let me say there is yeah. not yet research 
that looks at educational screen time and compares it to, to um, recreational screen time. And of course, there would be some area of overlap depending on what a person's interests were. Yeah. But, but there are health issues related to screen time, physical health issues, which I'm going to cover. Okay. And I'm sorry that this is going to make people bummed out, but this is what you got to bring back to your districts. Yeah. So, so anyway, um, the, the, the person writing this article is an assistant professor of clinical pediatrics at Weill Cornell Medicine Center. Um, and the interview goes on. We know that kids have easy access to screens now more than ever, but how do screens affect early childhood development? For young children, especially those under the age of three, development is happening rapidly. Young children learn by exploring their environment and watching the adults in their lives and then imitating them. Excessive screen time may inhibit a child's ability to observe and experience the typical everyday activities they need to engage with in order to learn about the world, leading to a kind of tunnel vision which can be detrimental to overall development. How does, so, so, um, Somebody, somebody then says, how does screen time specifically impact a child's ability to learn? Studies have shown that children under two learn less from a video than when learning from another person. And it appears that although children will watch the TV screen by six months, understanding the content does not generally occur until after two. It's not that they won't be captivated by what's on the screen, but they won't learn from it. Language development expands rapidly between one and a half and three years of age. And studies have shown that children learn language best when engaging and interacting with adults who are talking and playing with them. There's also some evidence that children who watch a lot of television during the elementary school years perform less well on reading tests and may show deficits in attention. So that was that was the first article I found. And it certainly suggests that there is a legitimate question as to whether receiving your education in a brick and mortar school environment or receiving your education through a portal, even if the, the amount of hours on the portal or less is analogous or if they're just different or if one's better, one's worse. I don't have the lock on this. I'm just looking at what's been done so far. Um, so, hold on a second. Uh, so that was, okay, hold on one sec. I'm so sorry. It's all right. It happens. We're live. No, but I've lost my screen. Oh yeah. That happens with the phone too. Okay, I, just want, I want to acknowledge too, that people are writing in. We're probably not going to get a chance to answer these questions, but people are writing in. Yeah. Um, I hate to be the, the, like the big bad, you know, screen time's bad, but um, but I, I, I want to make sure that we're, you know, dealing with the full deck here. Yeah. Um, I mean, it has to be, we can't put our heads in the sand and say, oh, you know, it's, it's the same or equal. So no, I appreciate you being honest with us, Bonnie, and telling us there's, a, there's some other things that we need to consider. Okay. So here's some of the other things that came up in my looking at, you know, uh, Google Scholar, and I'm going to go more deeply into this, but. This is from the Journal of Pediatrics in 2018, an article um, called Excessive Screen Time and Psychosocial Wellbeing, the Mediating Role of Body Mass Index, Sleep Duration, and Parent-Child Interaction. And basically, just to read you really quickly what the study was, um, 
they screened uh, they screened um, 20,324 children aged three to four um, and they completed strengths and difficulties questionnaire and reported the child's time spent on its uh, screen exposure, sleep duration, height, weight, and parent-child interactive activities. The results, preschool uh, children were watching 2.8 hours a day of screen time um, with 70 with 78% exceeding one hour a day and 53% exceeding two hours a day. Every additional hour of screen time was associated with increased risk for poor psychosocial well-being, body mass index, sleep duration, and parent-child interaction um, mediated the effect of, uh, excuse me, and parent-child interaction mediated the effect of uh, excessive screen time on child psychosocial well-being among which parent-child interaction contributed most. So um, this, this article concludes that excessive screen time uh, exposure was associated with poor psychosocial well-being. Um, and they thought that the reason why was because the child was spending more time interacting with the screen and less with the parent. The other one that I found that's really interesting before we run out of time is specific to ADHD. Okay. And I thought it was important for us because I know a lot of our kiddos either have an ADHD-like presentation or they may have a comorbid diagnosis. So this is from uh, Environmental Research, July 2018. Adverse physiological and psychological effects of screen time on children and adolescents. This is a literature review and a case study. So this is looking at a lot of other studies and figuring out what, what, what they concluded. Okay. The growing body of literature is associating excessive and addictive use of digital media with physical, psychological, social, and neurological adverse consequences. Research is focusing more on mobile devices use, and studies suggest that duration, content, after dark use, media types, and the number of devices are key components determining screen time effects. Physical health effects, Excessive screen time is associated with poor sleep and risk factors for cardiovascular diseases such as high blood pressure, obesity, physical health, uh, low, low uh, HDL cholesterol, poor stress regulation, uh, insulin resistance. Other physical health consequences include impaired vision and reduced bone density, psychological effects, internalizing and externalizing behaviors related to poor sleep, depression. Depressive symptoms and suicide are associated to screen time-induced poor sleep, digital night time use, and mobile phone dependency. ADHD-related behavior was linked to sleep problems, overall screen time, and violent and fast-paced content, which activates dopamine and the reward pathways. Early and prolonged exposure to violent content is also linked to the risk for antisocial behavior and decreased prosocial behavior, and so on and so on and so on and so on. A case study of, a, of treatment of an ADHD-diagnosed nine-year-old boy suggests screen time-induced ADHD-related behavior could be inaccurately diagnosed as ADHD. Screen time reduction is effective in decreasing ADHD-related behavior. Well, so I'm suggesting that we need to start challenging the district um, and asking them for a schedule that really suits our, our, our students. And I think there's reason to, to think 
that our students would be better off if they had a schedule that allowed for breaks, like reality breaks, health breaks, doing work without a screen break. I know some of the kids are wearing blue glasses to try to deal with the glare off of the screen. There may be other accommodations that are helpful, but um, you know, it's, it's a big problem. It's a big yeah. problem. So I, I just wanted to bring uh, everybody's attention, the fact that your district's going to tell you that your distance learning is fine. It's dandy. It's as good as being in school. I don't believe them. Yeah. And we need as many things in our arsenal to, to deal with that as possible. Uh, they want to know, again, the title of, and they said, thank you, the title of the article about excessive screen time. I know the first one was, the investigator was Jennifer Cross. I wrote that I down. And you, can I just? Uh, yeah. Why don't you, if you wouldn't mind doing that, if you would send that to, to Traven and then yeah, Traven can stick it in the notes on Facebook, um, then all, all three of them would be there. Because I think people are going to want these to reference them. Yeah, and again, I, I, I appreciate it. And I want to say that there are, I'm just starting my research. There, yeah. are, there are other articles about how to use screen time effectively as an educational medium. There seems to be some thought that, that content could be made better or worse. I mean, maybe that's like the difference between seeing a really good movie and a so-so movie. Right. Yeah. No, I, I think that, I think that that's what it comes down to because you know, we're, we're kind of between a rock and a hard place. And I think we're all going to have to spend some time on screens now, but if we maximize that time so that it's maximum education and then maximize the downtime, I think a lot of people are having a hard time because our kids were already screen addicted. Now school is on the screen time. So the whole day there, and we have to flip that equation. If they have to be for a portion of the day on education, every time they're not, uh, uh, needed in that moment, we got we got to make sure that they're experiencing the world and the rest of those times. And the school has to help us with that. Um, yeah. I mean, but we have to help ourselves. You know? That's true. And that's and true. One, one thing that that I was thinking as I was doing this research is it's really relevant for a lot of us as an adult, as as, as adults also. Like my work has shifted to, you know, heavily heavily weighted. Um, in, in the use of being on a screen. And the other week I had two meetings in a row. One was an internal office meeting. And I said, I'm gonna take the meeting with the audio only. I'm resting my eyes up because I have an IP meeting next and I'm gonna have to squint at the documents that they project on the screen and stuff. And people shouldn't be um, you know, uncomfortable asking for those kinds of accommodations. They're reasonable. They're very reasonable. And, and we, I, I know my equation is flipped because me who does not like to exercise, I'm on so much of this during the day. Um, now I, you know, I'm, I'm on the treadmill every day because it's my break. Good. I'm on, I'm on the treadmill. That so, not so well. Uh, well, it's, we all do what we can. I'm not saying I'm going to be perfect. Uh, somebody else said they also need to help us with tutors that we can get to help through Zoom. How can we do this? You want to take a look, ask your school if they're, if they're providing online tutoring. Uh, I know my son's school is starting it as of Wednesday. We have online tutoring that's free that we get that's 24 seven. So if it's two o'clock in the morning on Sunday, he can ask for tutoring and it's brand new. So ask your school 
if they're doing that. But we, Bonnie and I were here with a company called Air Tutors on the show a couple of months ago who've been doing really well. Um, talk to your school if they'll pay for that, if they're not providing one. They also want to know, are there any good attorneys? I'm sorry. Pride Learning Center has virtual and face-to-face -face tutors in California. What uh, is the name of it again, Bonnie? Pride, P-R-I-D-E, Learning Center. You're, you're breaking up just when you say that word. Pride. Pride, P-R-I-D-E. Learning Center. Okay, I'm writing it down. Uh, we'll get them on the show. Uh, okay, and then again, um, they because we're out of time, Bonnie, if you would tell them about Tolner and... Uh, COPA because somebody's asking for good attorneys for autism in Ohio. Yeah, for Ohio, go to copaa.net and look and call the Ohio attorneys and talk to them. There'll be some. Uh, for Tolner Law Offices, Tolner, T-O-L-L-N-E-R, Law Offices, you can find us on the web. If you want a free consultation and you're in California, fill out the paperwork. We're starting to get a lot of parents that are approaching us and saying, like, something's got to give. Yep. It's so, true. And Traven has the website on the screen, too, for Tolner Law Offices now. And many of you have written in very specific questions. Um, I, I, wanna, I want to give you the opportunity. You can email me, and I will put them together for Bonnie so she can answer them next week. But email me at s.penrod at autism-live.com and give us as many details as possible like what the diagnosis is, what school district you're in, what they're offering, what it says in your IEP or somebody um, is starting an IPP process. So um, write those to me. Bonnie, thank you so much. I'm so sorry I didn't get to you until late. That's not a problem. Everybody stay safe. Talk to you next week. All right. Thank you very much. You. Uh, we're here. We're here right at the end of the show. Uh, and so I don't know which website you needed again, Bonnie's or you needed copaa.net. But Traven, while I'm talking for just a second, can you put Tolner Law Office back up on the screen? Is it too late? Uh, I also, there it is. So specialeducationcouncil.com to get Tolner Law Offices, specialeducationcouncil.com, okay? Uh, we had promised you guys, I don't know whether it was Thursday or Friday, we promised somebody had written in about the hand washing that my my husband and I uh, <laughs> were not singers. Uh, and and we're, uh, we're gonna play this right here at the end. We're not gonna play the whole thing, but we made a video uh, for washing hands, um, for people to, it was mainly for folks on the spectrum to have something fun to wash your hands to. Cause you know, there's that whole sing happy birthday, but you know, I, that's not that catchy and it's not that much fun. So we took the, the song time warp and my husband and I did this crazy video, but my son was the director and did all of the filming and all of the editing. So we're going to leave you on this note, but we're back tomorrow with the best of Temple Grandin. Here is part of Let's Wash Our Hands Again. Check it out. Let's wash our hands once again let's wash our hands once again first you wet your hands just a little and then a pump of soap bring your hands close together and then you start to scrub first it's like a prayer 
and then turn them over and scrub between. Let's wash our hands once again. <laughs>